Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Thank you, band. Thank you, friends. It's good to be with all of you this morning. It's, um, my name is Matthew. I'm the pastor here on the east side, and um, thank you for joining us this morning. I'm going to read uh, to begin our time from the Gospel of Matthew, and if you have Bibles and you want to follow along, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 22 to 33 together. So immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and um, go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up uh, the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind had risen against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Uh, Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And so Peter got out of the boat. He started walking on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together and then we'll jump into this story. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who sings louder than the thunder, as we just sang. We thank you that you are a Lord over the storm, over the war, uh, over our life. And so, God, we, uh, we pray that we would receive today from this story comfort and also power to know how to live in this moment as your citizens. How do we live as participants in your kingdom, God? Help us. Enlarge our imagination today. I pray, Spirit, would you speak very personally to each one of us that we would know how this story actually touches our life today and what it calls us to in Jesus' name. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. So we are in a series we're calling Citizens. And the reason we're calling it is because the Bible calls us citizens. It says that you and I are citizens of a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that what that actually means is that your allegiance is to something other than the kingdoms of this world. So the socio-political vision of Jesus, which is behind all of his teachings, is actually the thing that he says you and I are called to have allegiance to that and not any other tribe, any other political party, any other nation. But actually our citizenship is first and foremost Uh, there. Uh, I've been reading a a bunch of books recently, but one of the ones I've been reading that's really helping me figure out how to do that, how to be a citizen of of God's kingdom politically in our political age is this book that just came out from the Anne campaign called Compassion and Conviction. And it's it's so practical. It's, It's short. It's easy to read. It's a great resource. The whole church should read this book before the election this year so that you can be thinking deeply and biblically about how to engage with these things. So it's written by a bunch of people that I really respect, Justin Gibney and Michael Ware and Chris Butler, and I encourage it. Uh, to you. One of the things that they say in it is that Christianity is not simply a practice. It's not simply a lifestyle. It is a worldview. It is a way of seeing the, the age that you, are, that you are in. And so this is, this is what we're studying now for the next couple of months. Through the teachings of Jesus from Matthew's gospel, what do, what do we do? How are we called to be citizens. So we come to this story today, which is probably familiar to a number of us. Jesus walking on water, it's kind of iconic. And yet the question 
I think would be like, well, what does this have to do with citizenship? Or even more practically, what does this have to do with me? What does this story possibly have to say to me? This strange, phenomenal event that that's took place thousands of years ago between a couple of people. Why, why are we studying it uh, today? And I actually think it has quite a lot to say to us about the kingdom and what it's like. Um, so we're just going to work through the passage and we're just going to pull some stuff out of it. The first thing, though, that we see in this text is that Jesus gave space to his grief. The context of this whole story is that Jesus finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been executed. And as he finds that out, he wants to go away and, and weep and grieve and, and pray. And he gets interrupted on his way out of town, basically. And that's when the feeding of the 5,000 happens. He's trying to get away and he can't because this crowd is tracking him down and, and they find him. And so he has compassion on them. He feeds them. He performs the miracle. We looked at that last week. And when it's over, he puts his disciples in a boat. He says, go to the other side. And he does something that I would never do. He re-enters the grief that he was trying to, <laughs> he was trying to process in the first place. I probably would have said, you know what? I had good intentions and isn't that enough, but now clearly something's gotten in the way and I'm just going to move on with my life. But Jesus models for us, like, you got to deal with these things. It's not going anywhere, this grief, except deeper in your body. And the body keeps the score. So you have to be willing to process these things. And Jesus gave space in his life for that. And there is a lot of things to grieve right now. This year has felt like a year to grieve. I was on the phone with our bishop this week, and we were talking about this sort of low-level depression that so many of us are experiencing because of just the magnitude and the the breadth of the loss that so many of us are feeling. Jesus gives space for his grief. And even when he gets interrupted, which will happen if you are a living person, uh, he turns back and, and he processes it. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just move on. And yet after that, he, we find him walking over the waves. Jesus walked over the waves. And I think there's something really poetic about this. So Jesus is in his grief. He's in his sadness. He's in a storm, essentially, internally. And then he comes out of that time refreshed and begins to walk over the storm that is rocking the disciples' boat. Now, why, is he, why did he do this? Jesus is smart, right? He, like, he does things on purpose. He knows what he's doing. He obviously could have done this other times. He doesn't. So why is he at this moment saying, you know what I feel like doing right now is walking on the water? Why, why, did, that, why did that strike him? I think he's actually making a, I think he's making a declaration to us that the grief, as large and as stormy and as dark and as dangerous as it feels, as wild and untamed as a, as a storm at sea, that ultimately citizens of his kingdom can be in the midst of that kind of storm and yet walking over the things. We don't sink in the middle of them. In other words, uh, as Tim Keller says, and we, we've now quoted him twice today, <laughs> as Tim Keller says, um, uh, Christians should have the largest emotions of anyone you know. I know that's like really troubling for some people watching this, but they should, have the, they should be happier than everyone else and sadder than everyone else because they have the capacity to have a heart that's been expanded that much because they can feel all the grief and yet they know it's not gonna ultimately sink them. I have a really good friend who in this season, because of all the space we've had, has, has felt God opening up to him like, areas of, of loss in his life that he's just kept at arm's reach. He just hasn't wanted to have to deal with it. And yet he, he's feeling like I have to process this grief. And he told me, I'm afraid that if I really start to feel what this has felt like my whole life, I'm going to sink into a black hole of depression, <laughs> and which is, which is just very honest. And Jesus shows us, no, you won't. 
Citizens of my kingdom walk over the waves. Citizens of my kingdom can feel the sadness. So you can grieve with Beirut. You can grieve over the 160,000 Americans that have lost their lives or the 700,000 world citizens that have lost their lives to COVID. You can grieve with all the children that are trapped at home right now with abusive caretakers instead of in the safety of a public school. You can grieve with the 80 million displaced people who have lost their home and had to flee because of violence or political instability. You can grieve with the community of color that is still grieving the injustice that justice has not been served for the killers of Breonna Taylor. You can feel these things in your bones and yet you know that they're not gonna ultimately topple you. As Paul is able to say in 2 Corinthians 6, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing that these two things, actually this is the birthright of the church, that you are given a heart that can be large and expansive and that feels everything. Next we see Peter sees... uh, this figure, and he asks him to call him out of the boat. It's an incredible moment. They see something that looks like a ghost, and don't patronize the disciples here. What would you have thought it was when you saw something walking towards you through a storm? So they see this, and they go, oh man, I guess ghosts are real, and there is one, but the voice is familiar, and so Peter says, well, if it actually is you, call me out, out to, to, to be with you, which, which seems strange to us, unless you understand what Peter is. Peter is a disciple. And a disciple is someone who is following a rabbi because that rabbi has looked at them and said, I believe that you can know what I know so that you can do what I do so that you can be like who I am. That's what a disciple is. And a disciple, in this instance, sees his rabbi walking on the water and he says, well, if it's really you, rabbi, call me and I'll come do it uh, too. It really kind of blows the whole story open. What Peter is doing here is not just being random, but he's actually saying, if this is what it means to be your disciple, then, then, tell, me, then tell me to come after you. And, and he does. We see, fourthly, that Peter, therefore, takes an enormous risk in order to follow his rabbi, in order to follow Jesus. He takes an enormous risk in this moment. I mean, what would, it, um, what would it take for you to lift the weight of your body off of the foot in the boat and place the same weight on the foot dangling over the water? How, what would it take for you to do that in a moment? Don't, they're in a storm. Like, this is a dangerous thing. I mean, Peter might, at the very least, just look really dumb. I mean, he could just, and then he goes in. Like, that's what should have happened, right? Like, that's what happens when you do that. And, and instead, he, he, he takes an incredible He takes an incredible risk, Um, risks looking foolish. He's vulnerable. No one else in the boat is doing this. No one else is saying, I'll come next. Like he's the only one who has the courage or maybe the, um, maybe he's just dumb enough to go like, I bet I, I bet I could try that. Um, One of the things that it means to be a citizen of the kingdom is to be a person who's willing to take risks. That's what it, what it means. You have to be willing to risk something, to risk looking foolish, to risk uh, exposing yourself. So Jenny and I were talking this week about risk, and we were thinking, like, what are the risks that we're being asked to, to make as, as Christians right now? And we were thinking, like, there's kind of like three main categories of risk. There's personal risk, there's communal risk, and there's spiritual risk. And that, and, and each, one of us, each one of those categories, like, there's probably something that you feel like you could do right now, you could try, and you could risk looking foolish, and you, you could really fail in a public way, and it would be a disaster, you know, for your ego, and and, and, and yet, that's actually what Jesus is calling us into in this moment. Personally, for me, one of the areas where I feel called to risk, and I, I think it's probably true for many of us in this church, is around the area of race. 
I've just been silent for so long. I've been so uneducated for so long uh, that I actually feel like part of what it means to follow Jesus in this era, in this, in this day, is to be a person who's willing to risk, to, to be on the side of justice and justice work, even if it's messy, which means that there's going to be a lot of awkward, clumsy white people moments in the next couple of years as they try to figure out what, how to say it, like what the language should be and what are the right ways to think about a thing uh, and, and what are the wrong ways. Like it's not enough to just hold myself up in my house and read books forever. At some point, you got to start talking about these things. And how are you going to do that except by taking risks? Already, I know I've said things in this process in the last few months that like were the wrong thing to say. They were the wrong thing to do. I've already done it. I'm going to do it again. But it's a risk that I feel like God's calling us all to make right now. Communally, we're asking you to risk by, by opening yourself up to others and get in a neighborhood group right now. And I'm not talking about like the health risks associated with that. We're not asking you to take any health risks. We're asking you to actually have, like, risk like letting people into your life. When we were launching neighborhood groups in January, a number of people said, I just am not sure I'm ready to let people into my life. But the only way community works is if we are willing to uh, like kind of let down our guard, like remove the curated version of ourselves and instead be our real selves. That's actually what community requires if it's going to be healthy. That's a risk. It's, it's, it could be awkward. You could be misunderstood. And then finally, uh, spiritually, a spiritual risk. I, I think this is, again, like what this is going to be for you, it's personal to you. I, I personally have felt um, that God is inviting me in this season to begin again to pray for things that I haven't prayed for for a long time. For a long time, I was praying daily, come Holy Spirit. I want more of the Holy Spirit whatever that means. And it was a very scary prayer to me because I felt really out of control in it. But I wanted the Spirit to manifest uh, himself to me in ways that it would be known, you know, with knowledge, with, with, with increased faith, uh, with, with the gifts of the Spirit. And, and I was asking for this. And then COVID hit, and I just found it was way easier to function in this season off of muscle memory rather than try to function out of overflow of my heart. It was just easier. I've been functioning off muscle memory for about five months now. And God is just bring me back. It's like, you remember how this works, right? Like I fill, and then out of you come springs of living water, but I'm the water that goes into you. And it's time to start asking for that again, which is a scary prayer. And that may not resonate with you at home at all. It may not resonate with, with you. For you, it might, like spiritual risk in this moment may just simply be agreeing to sing along with the worship and just trust that God's in that moment with you. And that could be a very awkward risk to take, especially if you're in a group with a few other people. There's nothing really more intimate than like six people singing with one another. You may just need to turn the TV way up in order to cover all of the mistakes um, because that's a, it's a risk that we have to take. But it's a way of saying, I'm stepping towards you, God. Would you please step towards me? Um, we also see, though, that when Peter's fears overcame him, which will happen, Jesus was there. The word is immediately Jesus was there and he caught him. Immediately. So that when you and I do risk, Jesus is going to catch us when we fail. Which really means that you and I can't risk in ultimate ways. We can only risk in temporal ways. That our greatest risks that we will take in the season and in our life are ultimately not ultimate. Um, they're momentary. And they may be deep and painful, but they will not crush us. Finally, Peter comes to his feet, Jesus pulls him up, and he, he asks a question, which is the question for you and me today. Why did you doubt? What is Peter doubting? 
Well, Peter's not doubting Jesus. Jesus wasn't the one sinking. What does Peter doubt in this? He doubts himself. He's asked, if I am your disciple and you're my rabbi, call me out there. And Jesus says, come on out. And he kicks his leg over the boat and begins to walk, which must have been exhilarating. And then he suddenly looks around and realizes, I'm not supposed to be here. I don't belong here. This isn't a safe place. And he begins to doubt and he starts to sink into the sea. What do you think was going on in the heart of Jesus in the moment when he watched Peter kick his leg over the boat? Do you think Jesus winced? Do you think Jesus sucked in air through his teeth? I think, I think what was going on in the heart of Jesus was pride. I think Jesus was grateful that he was watching Peter take a risk like this. It's like, that's right, you've got it. You understand how this thing works now. What do you think Jesus' heart towards you is when you take a risk to follow him? when you choose to speak up around something you've been silent about, when you choose to enter a community and, and expose yourself in, in a way that feels very vulnerable, what do you think Jesus's face is like towards you? Do you think he's wincing? Like, ooh, this could be awkward. They could really, they could crash and burn here. Is it possible that instead his eyes brighten? He's like, okay, now you get it. This is what disciples do. This is what it means to follow me. You are learning how to be like the rabbi, to know what the rabbi knows so that you can do what the rabbi did, so that you can be like the rabbi. And suddenly when you realize that that's what a disciple is, it makes sense of all the times the New Testament insists that who we are becoming is already locked in and guaranteed. It's not up for grabs. It says it again and again. He's going to finish what he started with you. He knows where he's taking you. He's already determined it. It's why you're here right now. It's why you're watching this right now. He's already made the declaration over you. You're my disciple. Come and follow me. It says in Philippians that he who began this work in you is going to complete it. He is not going to give up on you. And if, if he has decided this about you already, if it's guaranteed, then the question is, when will you and I decide it for ourselves? When will we finally agree with that? That Jesus is calling us to do a thing that he believes by giving us the Holy Spirit, who's called the Spirit of Christ, by giving us the Spirit of Jesus, he believes and knows and is convinced that you and I are, are, he's calling us into a thing that he's like, you can do this. Not in your own strength, you need me. But I've given you everything you need to take enormous risks and to have your foot touched down on the water and for it to stick. And if that is true, then what kind of courage would that give to us? If we know we can't actually fail ultimately, but only temporarily. If we know that God is convinced that he's actually going to get us where he said he's going to get us then what does that mean for you and me in the middle? How do we, how do we not get, our, get out of the boat? What would keep us in the boat if that is the world in which citizens of the kingdom of God live? We sing a song here, and Mike is going to lead us in it in a minute, but the prayer of St. Francis, I want to be to the people around me what you want to be to the people around me. Jesus believes that you and I can be what he wants to be to the people around us. That's why he's called us disciples. That's what we're doing here.